Welcome to the Beltline Church of Christ podcast. We're so glad you found us. Please take a second and hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified of these weekly podcasts. Most of all, we hope this podcast will help you take your next step with Jesus. If you want to know more about us, you can visit us at www.beltlinechurchofchrist.org. Here's today's lesson. Uh, Today we're going to behold God in John chapter 9. If you'd like to turn your Bibles there, John chapter 9. And we'll be looking at pretty much the whole chapter, uh, but considering specifically the very beginning of that chapter. We're going to be learning about a man who was born blind this morning. You know, in our text this week, our beautiful Savior, he's working miracles again. Not only is he healing a man's blindness again, we were just learning about that back in Mark chapter 8, remember? Uh, But here he is again healing someone's blindness. This one was blind since birth. Uh, But he's also correcting some errors of belief that were held by people. And and maybe some of these errors are still in some of our own minds and hearts. And so it's something we want to have corrected by the Holy Spirit this morning. Uh, We know that Jesus is the light of the world as we studied last week. And that light makes things visible that were once hidden. And so let's open our hearts to the light of his glory this morning. And let's learn from the light of the world. In John chapter 9, starting in verse 1, it says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or of his parents' sins? Jesus answered, it's not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And then he spit on the ground. He made some mud with the saliva. He spread the mud over the man's eyes. He told the man then, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed. And what did he do? He came back seeing. He came back seeing. If you skip down to verse 35 there in John 9, you'll find when Jesus heard what had happened, because what's going to happen to this man is he's going to be interrogated by the Pharisees, by the religious leaders. He's going to be accused by them of, of various things, and he's, he's going to stand firm in his faith because of what has occurred to him. He tells them, he says, all I know is I was blind and now I see. And in verse 35, it says, when Jesus heard what had happened to him, he found the man and he asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. And Jesus said, you have seen him. And he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said. And he worshiped Jesus. And he worshiped Jesus. What a chapter. What a life this man who was born blind must have lived. And now he is here recorded by the Holy Spirit that we might grow in our faith because of what he experienced. I tell you what, where would we be as Christians if we didn't have passages like this where our Savior is meeting desperate needs that people have? Where would we be as as Christians, as followers of Christ, who want to help others, who want to serve them, if we didn't have a reference, if we didn't have the example of Jesus Christ reaching out to someone in need and showing us that, that, that his way is to serve others. Now, he was able to give this man sight. You might not be able to give someone sight, but certainly you can give them lunch. 
So certainly, certainly you can help them with other struggles that are going on in their life. And here's your Savior, Jesus Christ. He's setting the example for you. But not only that, think about the suffering that this man has endured through his whole life. When you read the in-between part of this chapter, you'll see that his parents are also called in and interrogated by the Pharisees. And they're so scared of these religious leaders, they don't stand up for their son. They don't even stand up for him. In fact, we find this, this man is out begging because his parents obviously can't continue to care for him for whatever reason. They're not caring for him. And when they are interrogated, they say, hey, go, he, he's a grown man. Go ask him. Go ask him. And so here the struggle that these people have faced, this family has faced, this suffering that has gone on their whole life. Isn't it? Isn't it true that God is reaching to us? Because there are those of us here who have struggled, who have suffered throughout life, who have uh, been born with things that cause suffering in our lives, or that have children who have suffered, and, and our heart breaks for them. And here's this passage of Scripture where Jesus is teaching specifically to a family who is suffering, who has suffered for a long time. So I want to touch on quickly this morning the biblical view of suffering. A biblical view of suffering. Do you notice that the, uh, the apostles ask this question? These disciples, they ask, who sinned this man? It, it, they were leading Jesus, right? They already had the answer in mind. Somebody sinned because they're suffering. That's, that, that's, that, that's what they're coming up with. But Jesus says, that's not true. That is not necessarily the case. Just because someone may be suffering does not mean that there was sin that caused it. Now, certainly, sin causes suffering. Sure, absolutely. It may be my sin that I have to suffer the consequences of. It may be someone else's sin that is inflicted on me because of the circumstances. That is possible, yes. Is it always the case? No, absolutely not. And that's what Jesus does. They say, who sinned? And Jesus says, neither him or his parents sinned. Neither one of them. And it, it makes me think back to Luke 13 and verse 4. It says, what about the 18 people who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Were they worse sinners in Jerusalem? Were they the worst? No, and I tell you again, unless you repent, you will perish too. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He says, listen, Nobody sinned to cause this man to be born blind. It's not that God was looking into his future and said, you know what, he's going to be a terrible person, so I'm just going to go ahead and strike him with blindness. God didn't do that. God doesn't do that. That's not what he does. Yeah, this man was born blind, and Jesus tells us exactly why he was born blind. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Verse 3. This happened so that the power of, of God could be seen in him. And let me tell you something. I don't know what it is that you're suffering this morning, but I know that all of us suffer. All of us do. All of us have things that happen in our lives, and sometimes they're just totally unexplainable. We, we don't know why. And too often we, we say, why, God? Verse 3, it happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. I, I buried my uncle last Saturday. I was down in Florida, and they, I got to go down there, and I got to preside over the service and to, to speak to my family about my uncle, my mother's brother. My mom's frail right now. Uh, you know that she's been battling cancer. She's doing well, but she's, she just seemed different. 
I recognize this is a trying time for her. She loved her brother very, very much. I, I loved my uncle very, very much. And it's just another moment of our lives where we face some suffering. And, and I'm not saying anything that you don't already know about because you also have faced these same types of things. You've also lost family members. You've also, also gone through suffering. And God is looking at each one of us and he's saying, listen, do it so that the power of God can be seen in you. As you go through that suffering, make sure you do it in such a way that you show others his love, uh, that you are a display of the power of God. Whatever it is that you suffer, if you follow Christ, what you do is you remember, wait a second, God is going to bring about good from this. And it may not be in the flesh. It may not be in this lifetime that we see that good. And somewhere in our hearts, we've got to come to a place of peace in trust, trusting our Father, trusting that he's going to redeem us from that suffering, that he is going to bring about what is best for us. You know, this is the same idea that, that Job's friends thought. Remember, when Job was suffering so much, they said, well, you had to have done something, Job. It wasn't the case, and we all know it. As we read through the account the Holy Spirit has given to us, we know Job didn't do anything wrong, and yet he was suffering such misery. So many terrible things happened in his life. He didn't do anything wrong to deserve those things. Those things just happened. The fact is, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that was created to be a paradise, and yet men sinned. We sinned. And not only did Adam and Eve sin, We've contributed to the corruption ourselves. Each one of us, we know that we've sinned. We know that sin is in this fallen world and that it continues to trip us up and it continues to trip other people up. There in Luke 13, Jesus said, were the people in that tower, or that, that tower fell on any worse sinners? No. And then and he, he emphasizes it at the end by saying, they're just like you. And unless you repent, you might likewise perish. The fact is, we all deserve towers to fall on us because of the sin in our lives. No one's perfect. No one's righteous. Not one. Romans 3. Now, we need to recognize that our need for God should drive us to his throne. Our need for him, for his presence in our life to comfort us through the suffering, to help us work through the suffering, to help us to see the power of God in the suffering, it should drive us closer to him, not away. And it seems like too often, suffering either makes us say, I hate thee or, or I hate me, right? We either get mad at ourselves, we think something's wrong with us, or, or somehow we turn it on God and say, I don't want anything to do with him because of this suffering that I'm having to experience in this life. And we start comparing ourselves with anybody else who doesn't have to suffer the way that we do. We gotta go back to verse three. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. How is God gonna overcome in your situation? In 2 Corinthians chapter one, you know, we have the passage where the Holy Spirit inspires Paul. He says, listen, the comfort that we've received from God, this is the comfort that we're gonna give. How would we know empathy if we didn't know suffering? How would, how would we know that, that the words that so many of you have spoken to me and my family and the loss of my uncle how did you know that that would be helpful to me? How did you know that would be encouraging to me? Because you too have suffered. Because you have empathy for those who are suffering. 
who are in a season of suffering. You have empathy because you've suffered in the past. It creates a connection. And I think it's the most powerful connection that God's ever given us. Why? Because he chose that same connection to be what we have in the gospel. Remember, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It starts with a death, though. It starts with his death. And God knows you experienced that. You experienced the loss. And we experienced that together. And because of those losses in our lives, we are connected. We're connected to Jesus, the only perfect person, and yet suffered so much. He didn't sin. He never sinned. And yet we see he's the man of sorrows. We see that he suffered so much in this world. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, it says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time, and he died for us sinners. Now, most people would, be willing, would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. God didn't create the world to be corrupt. Humans corrupted his perfect world. But even though Jesus agrees that sin in general causes suffering, in general, he denies the idea that individual suffering is necessarily caused by individual sin. Do you see that? God rejects that idea at the end of the book of Job, and Jesus rejects that idea right here. Sin in general causes suffering in general, yes. But sin in particular isn't necessarily the cause of individual suffering. And it's important for us as followers of Christ to get that, to be able to speak that into the lives of other people. Because what that does is it frees us. It frees us from some kind of self-righteousness that says, you know what, I, I have an easy life, and I haven't been suffering because I'm so good. No, that doesn't work either. You don't have a good life because you've been good. There are no good people. That's what separates the Christian from the whole world, isn't it? We recognize we're just as sinful, we're just as lost without a Savior, that we need Jesus, that we need him because he has stepped in and he has taken my place, taken uh, my punishment for my sin, and he has delivered me now into the kingdom of righteousness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse seven, it says, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Here's Paul the apostle, and he's saying, listen, I've struggled, I've suffered because of this. And listen to what he says, it's a messenger from Satan to torment me, to keep me from becoming proud. Why? Why did Paul suffer? Why did he go through these things? To keep him from becoming proud so that he didn't go to the other extreme and, and mess up even worse. Because he struggled, he suffered through this. He says in verse nine, each, or in verse eight, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away, but each time he said, my grace is sufficient. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And Paul concluded, I'm glad to boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Isn't it true that suffering brings a clarity about eternity? Isn't it true that we truly see what is eternal and what is righteous and what is pure and lovely and good when we suffer. When we go through times of suffering, we see more clearly how beautiful heaven truly is. And if everything was perfect and easy and there was no pain or suffering in this life, why would we desire to be anywhere else 
to go with Jesus to his kingdom in heaven. So the biblical view of suffering is that we live in a fallen world. Romans chapter eight and verse 18 makes it very clear. He says, yet what we suffer now, it's nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later for all creation. It's waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. Do you hear that? A fallen world. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and from decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, which is a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including new bodies, which he has promised us. Yeah, we suffer in this life. But there's no suffering in the place to which we're going. There's no suffering in the presence of God. There's no suffering in heaven. And he's calling us there. And he's saying, listen, serve one another in love. Minister each other. Help one another through the suffering so that the work of God is evident. Without the suffering, how would we ever see how God works in our lives in, in empathy and in, in, in love towards one another? Bad things happen. Bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to the greatest person, Jesus Christ. But we don't get angry of, at God. We don't ask, why me, God? Instead, we should be asking, why not me? If it's through suffering that God's work is going to be displayed, why wouldn't we ask, why not me, Lord? Bring it to me so that I can bring glory to your name, so that I can display who you really are. You see that? Otherwise, you'll go through life from one struggle to another and, and be so confused. But when you center it on the biblical understanding, it really clarifies things and it helps us to, to see, oh, wait a second, this life is but a moment and the future glory far outweighs anything that we suffer in this, in this flesh. We have a brother named Ernie Johnson. He and his wife Cheryl, they're, they're followers of Jesus. And you might know Ernie Johnson from TNT or CBS. He's, he's a sportscaster. <coughs> Over the years, they've adopted several children with special needs, and one of them is a little boy named Michael. And I want to show you a quick video clip of an interview where they're talking about Michael, who has muscular dystrophy. I want you to see the love of these parents. They adopted him when he was about three, and now he's about 30. Dealing with his cancer head-on through treatments, Ernie got the news in 2007 he was cancer-free. Things were back on track. But in 2011, his dad and best friend passed away. As he came to grips with the loss of his father, just two months later, Ernie got a call. His son Michael's life was in danger. And she's on the phone with me. And she's got a doctor there and she says, we need permission to intubate. We need permission to put something down his throat to help him breathe. And I said, and if we don't, and he said, your son's gonna die. Michael was put on a ventilator. He would spend the next nine weeks in the hospital before finally coming home. 
He would never come off the ventilator, so Ernie and Cheryl turned Michael's bedroom into an at-home ICU. We're very clear he's borrowed. We want to borrow him as long as we can. Toughest guy I know, by the way. Yeah, he's, this kid's been through so much. We have to do everything with Michael. We've got to scratch every itch. We've got to take care of every need. And for us, there's something that is, that is deeply spiritual there because you wake up in the morning to serve. And while Cheryl and I have, you know, went into the whole adoption thing saying, maybe we can do something for somebody else to give them a better life. He's done more for us than we've done for him. When I see the impact Michael's had with his limited capabilities, when I look at my own personal episode with cancer, this is another page in this story that, that God's written for my life. When you've seen what he's done in the past, say, okay, I'm gonna trust again. I'm not gonna trust if. Hey, God, if this test comes back, okay, you and me, we're boys. Nah, it's not a question mark, not a comma, not an if, not a when. It's trust God, period. Period. Trust God, period. Thank God for brothers and sisters like Ernie and Cheryl to remind us of the work of God that's still going on. And it's possible that you're going through a season of suffering right now, and maybe you've lost sight of the fact that God is going to reveal himself, not only to you, but to others through your suffering. Don't forget. Don't forget. We need to be praying for you. Tell your family. Let us go through this with you. Did you hear what he said, that they wake up every morning to serve? They wake up every morning to serve, which is exactly what we're called to do also, to wake up every morning to serve, to find someone to love in the name of Jesus, to bring closer to God, and to show them the love of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 16, it says, this is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Our present troubles, they're small and they won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we see now. Rather, we fix our eyes on things that cannot be seen. The things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Let's wake up to serve. Let's wake up to serve and let's look for how God is revealing himself through our struggle. You know, the, really the main point, I think, through this passage in John 9 is spiritual blindness. Jesus is often repetitive with us, isn't he? And he brings us back to spiritual blindness, which we looked at when we were back in, in Mark chapter 8. We learned that, that Jesus healed another blind man there, and, and he helped us to see that we need to keep coming back to Jesus for another touch, remember? But that we're healed in stages, we're healed in community, we're healed in confidence. In James 4 and verse 8, it says, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. End, end the thoughts that those disciples had and that Job's friends had that said, well, suffering must be the person's fault because it's not always the person's fault. In fact, it's usually not. In fact, most suffering 
is because of this fallen world in which we live that we are to be light and salt to, that we are to, to bring out of that darkness, to show them the way of righteousness, the only way that, that gives us the ability to say, you know what, no matter what I face in this life, no matter how I struggle, no matter how I suffer, I can still glorify God and I can, I can still praise his name because he's Lord and I'm not and I know that he can. He can overcome. He can lead me to the, to the place where there is no suffering anymore. Here we see that when we come back for another touch, touch we worship. We worship just as this, this man who was born blind, what does he do when he finally realizes who Jesus is? When he's face to face with Jesus, he falls down and he worships. And my, my encouragement to you is to worship. Through your suffering, to praise God, to worship him, to bring him everything you have and lay it at his feet and say, God, I want your glory to be shown. I want your work to be done even in my suffering. Lord, help me to give it to you, to serve you even through the storm. <clears throat> It's right to live in humility. Over and over again, the Holy Spirit reminds us, Colossians 3 and verse 12, since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. In James 3 and verse 13, if you are wise and you understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. He says, prove it. Even going through suffering, even in days that, that you don't want to get up, that you don't want to go, get up to serve. In Philippians 2 and verse 3, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Your spiritual blindness is cured touch by touch, kindness by kindness, joy by joy, patience by patience. Each time you worship and give yourself to others. Worship God, serve others. Worship God, serve others. There's the remedy. There's the help that you need. Worship God and go serve someone else. You remember the greatest teaching of Jesus? He says, this is above all the others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Mark 12, 30 and 31, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Worship God, serve other people. Worship God, serve other people. Worship God, serve other people. This is what we're here to do. And this is what we will do by the glory and the, the, the power and the strength of God. On June 17th, 2017, there was an explosion on the USS Fitzgerald. It collided with another ship a few miles off the coast of Japan. And this collision, it trapped many sailors in compartments on the ship just below the waterline. Immediately, a fellow sailor named Gary Ream was diving into the flooded compartments and saving his buddies. The Department of Defense says that this man is responsible for saving the lives of between 20 and 30 other sailors before he himself drowned, trapped in one of those compartments. He lost his life in the attempt to save others. You see, Gary's assessment of the situation demanded that he act, and his love for others compelled him to swim down to save as many lives as he could. 20 or 30 other men went home to their families, continued their lives, because this man gave himself for his friends. John 15, 13, Jesus said, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. I want to tell you this morning, Gary Ream He's a great American hero. He's an example to all of us, just as our, as our uh, Ernie and, and, and Cheryl Johnson. But we've got heroes right here. 
We've got heroes among us who, who are here and they know that their life is, is to be spent in service to others. And this is the invitation for us today that we would take up the mantle of self-sacrifice. It may not require your actual life, but it will require your life, that you give of your life to others, that you would serve, that you would give of your time, that you would give of your money, that you would give of, of all that God has blessed you with in service to someone else. Who better than the community in which you find yourself right now to serve those who are around us. Do you want to overcome suffering in your life? Worship the Lord. Do you want to overcome spiritual blindness that hinders all of our growth in Christ? Serve others. It's two of the most basic answers of Christianity, and it's why you should take the next step with Jesus. And I don't know what your next step with Jesus may be, but if, if it's coming to Christ in faith and having your sins washed away in the waters of baptism, come to Jesus. Take the next step with Jesus. If, if, if you're struggling to pay the light bill, if you're struggling to, to find a way to work, if you're struggling with finding work, take the next step with Jesus. Come and talk to us. What if someone in this family might be able to meet those needs? You know, when we go to Acts chapter 2, 3, and 4, we see some wonderful things about the church. In Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They, they listened carefully to what the apostles were teaching. What were they teaching? What Jesus taught. What did Jesus taught? He, he said, meet each other's needs says that they met each other's needs and had all things in common. In chapter 3, they meet a lame man. And what did they have to give him? Healing. They gave it, they served him by giving him the ability to walk. He stands up and walks in the name of Jesus Christ. In chapter 4, what do you find? They're persecuted because they healed him. But what does the church do? They start praying. They start praying for boldness, even in the face of, of persecution. They pray that, that God would work through them, that they would give them opportunities to serve even more. And because of their service to each other, the church grows and grows and grows and turns the world upside down. And what does it tell us there in chapter 4? There were no needy people among them. What a statement. There were no needy people. We don't want there to be any needy people among us. And so we want to invite you to take the next step with Jesus. Thanks again for listening. If you are in North Alabama, we would love to have you visit and worship with us. Also, if this lesson blessed you today, don't forget to hit the share button and share this message with someone else. Hope you will join us again next week. As we close, here is our prayer for you. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Have a great week.